from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the official podcast of the Archdiocese. Here now your moderator, Public Affairs Director Taylor Henry. Well, thank you, Elizabeth LaSalle. Today it is indeed my high privilege and pleasure to be talking to retiring Auxiliary Bishop Richard B. Higgins, originally from Ireland, but a longtime chaplain in the United States Air Force. Bishop Higgins, thank you so much for stopping in to talk to me today. Oh, you're welcome. So uh, you are the Episcopal Vicar for Veterans Affairs. You've been in this job for how long? Almost 14, 15 years. Oops. 15 yeah, years. 15 years. That's a wow. long time. Uh, not compared to the 30 I spent in the Air Force. So 45 years total uh, <laughs> serving the men and women in our country and the veterans. Um, what would you say is the state of Catholic practice in the VA medical centers right now? Do they have what they need in terms of uh, chaplains and mass schedules, confessions, that sort of thing? <laughs> Actually, we're, we're quite blessed because we have uh, an abundance of chaplains. Um, we have a few vacancies here and there, but we have plenty of applicants. It just takes some time to process the, uh, their, their applications and to process the endorsement. And then the uh, HR people in the, in the facilities, you know, they take their time. So there can be a bit of a gap periodically between the departure of one, one priest and the arrival of the new ones. But uh, as I say, I'm blessed with many applicants. And unlike uh, the situation on active duty where we have a desperate shortage of chaplains, you don't have a shortage in the VA. Not really. I get uh, a few positions obviously are hard to fill because uh, they're not full-time or they're not part-time, so they don't provide a, uh, basically a living wage. And so a priest can't relocate from some part of the country and live on what they're offering. So in cases like that, uh, the VA depends heavily upon the local clergy. And uh, how, roughly how many um, VA medical centers are there in the United States? There are 153 Quite at, a mo- few. at the moment. Uh, there's a few in, under construction. So. And does each of these uh, medical centers have a, a Catholic chapel? No, there's uh, a number of them that, uh, you mean chapel or chaplain? Chaplain. Yeah, chaplain. A number of them do not because of the demographics of the area. For example, in the Bible Belt, for example, there would not be that many Catholics in the population. Bishop Joseph Coffey uh, was ordained uh, here recently. He'll be stepping in your shoes. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that transition is taking place. <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's blessed to be having a transition because uh, when I came on board, my predecessor had been gone for months, and so there was no gap. Or I mean, there was no uh, transition. There was just uh, I walked into a fire hose, <laughs> and it's pretty much the same with poor Bishop Coffee. I mean, there's just so much uh, in in just in the VA, uh, not to mention just being a, a bishop, but just to dealing with all the issues in the VA and all the circumstances. So, uh, I'll give you a case in point, I, he and I met a couple of months ago, well, a couple of weeks back in Victorville, California, 
and I had five pages of single-space bullet points. Now, I hadn't expanded on those bullet points, and so we got through two pages. And the poor fellow's head was spinning, you know, so I said, well, you know, turn the fire hose off. But there's <laughs> just really so much uh, that, uh, that has developed over the years, you know. Because when I took the position, uh, I had other things on the plate besides uh, working with the VA. I had, we had to buy this building and refurbish it. Uh, we, we had to do an $8 million capital campaign. I got all of that stuff uh, to do. And then in the meantime, you know, do some confirmation, do base visits, Europe and Asia, East and West, and the VA. So uh, over the last couple of years, when I've been relieved of some of that. I've had time to concentrate on the issues in the VA, so. With the VA chaplains. What can you share with us about what some of those issues are? Well, I suppose one of them would be uh, the facilities. You know, not every, uh, not every VA facility or VA medical center has a decent chapel. Some do. But then we have to uh, abide by some regulations that require us to maintain those chapels and what they call a neutral status. And occasionally that's not done very well. But we're fortunate in quite a few of them to have a separate Blessed Sacrament room. I wish we could do that in every VA medical center, have that dedicated Blessed Sacrament room where our Catholic veterans and staff could come and spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament on a daily basis. And the other issue is, in some cases, uh, the population on weekends diminishes considerably. So if you go there, for example, for a weekend mass, uh, there might be half a dozen people. Whereas during the week, you might get 25, 30 people. So uh, the other issue sometimes is that uh, a cultural one, adapting from civilian ministry to a hospital setting. And having those basic skills and the clinical pastoral education and some experience in hospitals, uh, that can be a significant issue for some of our priests coming on board. Uh, I prefer, obviously, to get veterans. If I can get a priest who's retiring from the Air Force or the Army or the Navy and get one of them to come on board as a VA chaplain, I mean, that's really a plus because, obviously, they share the culture. So uh, I look for that. Yeah, we hear a lot about the problems in the VA, most of them not involving the chaplaincy, but the difficulty <laughs> that veterans have getting uh, medical assistance uh, and cost overruns and this, that, and the other. What, what are the problems confronting veterans who are trying to get medical care at the VA medical centers right now? Well, the biggest issue, uh, as I see it over the years, is uh, for the veteran getting into the system. You know, when he or she first signs up, which is another issue, quite a number of them don't sign up, but they're entitled to it and just don't take advantage of it. But when you do sign up, the veterans, the, the, the VA has to evaluate your medical situation. You know, produce all your records from when you're active duty. And that process takes time because they've got to make sure whoever is going through those records does not miss anything, that you're not denied something you're entitled to. So if you consider that you have several hundred of these applications and you have, don't have enough staff to 
to evaluate these and get through all that paperwork, okay? That's what takes the time. But once they get into the system and get seen by the, by the physicians and the care people, they get excellent care. That's my experience. They get first-class care. The VA will modify cars for them. The VA will provide them with prosthetics. The VA will provide them with wheelchairs, with whatever they need. And for the most part, it's free. Mm. Mm. Wow. I had one case there a while back. Uh, I was having dinner in one of these restaurants, one of these uh, fast food places. and Not quite a fast food, but uh, it was an Applebee's or one of those. But but the the man who served me was an eight-year veteran. And I asked him, I said, have you signed up with the VA? No. Nope. Well, why not? Eh, could be bothered. I said, if I was your first sergeant, I'd wake up the side of the head. <laughs> and then I'd haul you down there and sign you up. You earned this. You earned, it's, it's, you earned it. It's not, a, not like you're begging for it. You paid for it. I said, next time I'm back here, I'll check on you. Uh, one thing we don't hear a lot about is moral injury, which is a, a phenomenon that's been... Uh, I don't know what the word is, discovered or developed. Oh, it's been around a long time. They just, just gave it a really name. Been, yes, They exactly. just gave it a name. It's really fairly. been tagged or identified as such. Um, can, you, can you share with me what is moral injury and how do you spot it when you see it? Well, for example, you have a, a devout Catholic who's, or a Christian for that matter, you know, who adheres to the Ten Commandments. And, you know, thou shalt not kill comes immediately to mind. And these folks are, are placed in a situation where they've, had to kill, okay? And uh, that, you know, weighs on our conscience. And quite a few of them uh, comes back, you know, years later as post-traumatic stress. And because of their conscience and their understanding of the commandments and the need to not inflict injury upon people, uh, this comes back to haunt them. And that's... One example of a moral injury. Mm. And so uh, how, how do chaplains help them deal with that? Well, chaplains would be part of a team that would help them deal with that. It wouldn't just simply be the chaplains. Some, some of our chaplains are very skilled in that respect. and you know, They have the psychological and psychi- psychiatric background, and they can certainly inject into that. But uh, the idea of, first of all, having to forgive themselves, you know, that it was not entirely their fault, you know, that, uh, you know, we were placed or they were placed in that pretty ugly situation where they had really no choice. And uh, so just talking about it and sharing it with others who might have had a similar experience in a group setting, that can be a real Door opener, you might say. And when you say a team deals with it, uh, I infer that uh, someone who's suffering from moral injury probably has other issues as well, post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. and et cetera. So the, the team will help them deal with all aspects of... Well, the team is usually a composition of technicians, not technicians, but highly skilled folks. Like You'll have a psychiatrist, you'll have a psychologist, you'll have a social worker, you'll have a chaplain... You'll have, um, and, and they work together. So their particular skill set 
that's complementary. Well, as you pointed out, you've been the Episcopal Vicar for Veterans Affairs for about 15 years, and uh, you've gained some recognition in that time. People have uh, <laughs> acknowledged the fact that uh, you've done quite a job, uh, including the St. Sebastian Award that you just recently received from the Catholic War Veterans. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's their highest award, and it's given essentially for um, a dedicated life of service to veterans. And uh, I was very, very honored and pleased to, to receive it. Uh, they had been trying to award it to me for some time, and we could never, <laughs> between my travel schedule and theirs and meetings, and whatever, we could never get together. So You really are on the road. I can attest to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, quite a bit. All of our bishops are, as a matter of fact. Uh, but also in your uh, home county of uh, Longford in Ireland, you recently received the Civic Reception Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Well, that's that um, it's it's kind of a rare uh, a rare honor, really, because uh, the equivalent to sort of receiving the keys of the city kind of thing, where you know they honor you as a native son that has you know excelled and whatever. So it was uh, I was caught by surprise, but I really didn't know what to expect, and so when I went over there, nobody was talking; they couldn't really tell me. Well, you know, the, the chairman makes this speech and. And they award you this certificate, and then you make a speech in return, and then we all break for reception. Well, the place was packed. There was the standing room only in the uh, council chambers, and uh, our two bishops were there, the current bishop and the one that uh, that just retired a few years ago. So uh, all I had classmates there from grade school, from high school, from seminary, and you know, friends of the family, and folks that worked for my dad, and my father worked for that county council for 50 years. And my brother John worked for them for 10 or 12. And, uh, you know, as I, I told the story, the <laughs> I missed, or excuse me, I got, uh, I didn't make the cut when our local bishop was looking for seminarians to send to, to Maynooth. And so I was, I hadn't studied Greek. So because I hadn't studied Greek, I didn't get selected. So I was released to get Go find my own diocese somewhere, a religious community. That's how I ended up in the United States. How did you wind up in the United States serving in the U.S. Air Force? Well, let's take the United States first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, I, uh, there were seven or eight of us in my graduating class at a high school that wanted, wanted to be priests. And so the local bishop, he only wanted four. So he interviewed all seven. And his first question to me was, well, Sonny, have you studied Greek? And I said, uh, I'm sorry, my Lord, I, I did not. So because I had not studied Greek, <laughs> I got rejected. <laughs> and so I was released to find a diocese or a religious community that would accept me. And so I, I had some very, very good friends at the time who were seminarians for the Diocese of Sacramento in California. And so I, I wrote to the diocese and said, hey, I'm interested in becoming a priest. Are you folks interested? And they replied, yes, we'd, we'd be happy to entertain you. And so that's how I ended up in the Diocese of Sacramento. But then from the diocese moving on to the Air Force chaplaincy, that's, a whole, that's another story. So um, I was in my second parish at the time, and I had made friends, befriended a, a priest that was going into the Air Force as a chaplain. 
and I went by to visit him a couple of times and, and uh, got introduced to and of course I had been flying airplanes for years at that point and so, so I said hmm so I, I was given the opportunity and I asked permission from the bishop and he said okay well he was reluctant to let me go but and the rest of that's history, basically. So you learned how to be a pilot before you even joined the Air Force. Yep. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to do that? Well, uh, a Spitfire flew over our house when I was about seven years old. And I looked up there and I said, I got to do that. I was hooked from about age seven. So I started to take flying lessons my senior year in high school. Yeah, and continued through the seminary and got my pilot's license. I've had a pilot's license for 51 years. You're also a motorcycle driver. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> One would say that. <laughs> yeah, I've got oh, about 350,000 miles of motorcycling. Oh, my goodness. And I think about 48, 49 years of it. Wow. Well, obviously, you're a careful driver. Otherwise, you would not be with us here today. Took a tumble or two. (laughs) Well, what is in your future, Your Excellency? Well, I'm retiring out to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. I've had a home out there since I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base back in 93. Yeah, and I look forward to just relaxing for a while. You know, being able to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we... I can say personally, I, I have uh, been immensely rewarded through my association with you and working with you here at the Archdiocese. Well, and thank you. I know that I speak for everyone here and saying that we're going to miss you a great deal. And uh, I personally certainly wish you the very best. And I hope you won't be a stranger. Well, I hope not. As I said to folks, I'm retiring, but I'm not going away. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop Richard B. Higgins uh, talking to us today. Bishop Higgins, the Episcopal Vicar for Veterans Affairs here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services, retiring after 15 years as a bishop and before that 30 years as a U.S. Air Force chaplain. Thank you, Your Excellency, for talking to me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.